O Lord, we ask you favourably to hear the prayers of your people, that we who are justly punished for our offences may be mercifully delivered by your goodness for the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. And Lord, may your Spirit now illuminate the word that we've just heard, giving us ears to hear, and all those with eager hearts said, Amen. Well, there are many different opinions about the identity of Jesus. That is, answering the question, who is Jesus? If you were to ask a Muslim, uh, they would say that Jesus is one of the most important prophets in Islam, but not the Son of God. Uh, If you were to ask a Jewish person, uh, at best, Jesus is a teacher. At worst, uh, he is a blasphemer. If you were to ask a secular person, someone who doesn't even think of themselves as religious, they might concede that, yes, Jesus is possibly a historical figure, maybe even a good teacher, but certainly not divine and certainly not relevant. Uh, And likewise, I think increasingly, Jesus is viewed among secular people as wicked. And I think that, in part, is because of the wicked things that are seen to have been done by followers of Jesus. If you were to ask a New Age person... Uh, Who is Jesus? Uh, There could be all sorts of comments, uh, but Jesus is some type of spiritual master, uh, just like other enlightened gurus. He teaches with great wisdom, with warm love and beautiful philosophy. The reality is, if you were to ask the average person on the street that may not quite fit any of those categories, we'd get many different responses to the question of who is Jesus. And The reality is, for the last 2,000 years, there's been many uh, attempts to end Christianity, to present Jesus as irrelevant and unnecessary to our world, and yet Christianity continues, and Jesus continues to be a significant figure in the world. You can't ignore him. Uh, The uh, prolific English writer uh, H.G. Wells said this about Jesus. He said, quote, I am an historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess, as a historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very centre of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. It's not just H.G. Wells that could verify that for us. Our calendars revolve around him. We cannot ignore his impact on the world. And so the best place to go to answer the question, who is Jesus, is the the primary sources, is to go to the Gospels themselves. And today we begin a series in Mark chapters 1 through 8, the first half of Mark's Gospel. And Mark's Gospel, perhaps even noticed as as it was read out, is a fast-paced, action-packed, no-holds-barred retelling of the story of this penniless preacher, Jesus of Nazareth. You kind of keep seeing this language of immediately, immediately, immediately. It cuts to the chase. The characters in the story, they hear his teaching. They observe his character. They witness his miracles and they experience his healing hand. And consistently, we saw it already in chapter one, the response is one of amazement over all that they see. And so the question on everyone's lips in the first half of Mark's gospel is, who is this man? Who is this man? And the answer and the answer to this question, it mattered for those experiencing Jesus in the Gospels. It mattered for those hearing of his story as it spread throughout the first century. And it continues to matter for us 
today. Because who he is, the answer to the question of who is this man, will actually shape how we best respond to him. And so over the next couple of months, uh, we're working through chapters 1 through 8, a chapter at a time. That's a big chunk. It will not be possible to kind of delve into every verse, but I think moving relatively quickly through a book that has a relatively fast-paced narrative will actually help us to see this question on repeat uh, and see how this question is answered again and again. And so keep your Bibles out, keep them open. Uh, In chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel, we're going to ask three questions of the text this afternoon. And let me be honest, I think these three questions, little Bible reading hack, Mark's Gospel reading hack, I think these questions are actually helpful questions to ask the whole way through. Uh, Mark's gospel, not just the first half, not just chapter one, not just the first few verses, uh, but these questions, asking them and answering them, will get to the heart of the message of Mark's gospel. And the three questions are actually concerning the man, the mission, and the movement of Jesus. What are the questions? Here they are. Who is this man? Why did he come? And what does it mean to follow him? Who is this man? Why did he come and what does it mean to follow him? And so question number one, who is this man? The answer, the man, Jesus Christ, the son of God. Who is this man? The man, Jesus Christ, the son of God. This is a question that is asked repeatedly of Jesus by those who interact with him, particularly in the first half of of Mark's gospel. The characters in the story actually need to wait until the end of chapter 8 or midway through chapter 8. Chapter 8 is this significant hinge moment between the first half of Mark's gospel and the second half of Mark's gospel. That is when they get a definitive answer on who is this man. But as readers of this biographical account, 2,000 years later, we are in a privileged position. And so in answer to the question, who is this man? We actually don't need to get any further than sentence number one of chapter one. Have a look at it again with me. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. There's the answer straight away. Who is this man? Well, he is Jesus Christ, the son of God. You know, this opening sentence has an echo of the first line of the Bible, doesn't it? Genesis chapter 1, we have the beginning of another momentous story here in Mark chapter 1. This account of Jesus uh, is considered to be the earliest account that we have. And unlike Matthew and Luke, Mark gets straight into the narrative. He skips over any birth narrative. It's action, action, action. We don't see anything of the first 30 years of Jesus' life on earth. Uh, this is written by um, Mark, the evangelist, and it's, it's agreed that he's writing from the perspective of the Apostle Peter. This is an eyewitness account uh, of Peter, one of the closest people to Jesus in his earthly ministry. And so he begins abruptly, chapter 1, verse 1, with news that people need to hear. And that's what's understood by the word gospel, the beginning of the gospel. The word gospel is good news, good tidings. It's, it's breaking news. It's we interrupt this program type of news. Whatever you're watching, whatever you're doing, stop, listen to this. This is really, really great news. 
Now, we've heard a lot of bad news in recent years, haven't we? Uh, we've had bushfires, we've had wars, we've had this little pandemic thing that kind of shut the whole world down, just to name a few. Uh, one of my favourite types of accounts uh, to follow on Instagram, I think I've got a photo of one up there, uh, are those that focus on good news. There's about five or six of these accounts I follow on Instagram. Uh, this is from a particular one called Good News Movement. They describe themselves as good news only page. Current, no politics, run by journalists. Whether we trust it or not, who knows? Here's a few of the recent headlines. Conjoined twins successfully separated after 11-hour surgery, first of its kind at hospital. Fifth graders raise half a million dollars to create accessible playground for classmates. Uh, New York Plumbing Company serviced over 500 people for free during blizzard, saving Christmas for many. You know, when our news, there's, there's just three, but when our news feeds are filled with so much bad news, it's refreshing, isn't it? Just to see ordinary people making good news headlines through the sharing of examples of kindness, of generosity, of beauty and of hope which you can feel all the more in a world that desperately needs hope. You know, the good news of Jesus is the best news. And it's meant to interrupt our lives. It's meant to break into a world that is plagued by bad news. Who is this man Jesus? Verse 1, well, it's a gospel. And he is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, Christ, FYI, is not just Jesus' last name. Uh, It's not Mr. and Mrs. Christ. You've got a little baby Jesus. Congratulations. Uh, Christ is a title Uh, in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. uh, The Christ was a uh, title given to the king anointed by God, the Messiah, the king of kings, the one set apart to rule. And the Jewish expectation was that God would one day send the Christ, who would be the king of kings and rule the world in a unique way. And so Jesus, he is the Christ. That is his title. That is who he is. And Jesus, the Christ, is also the son of God. Immediately after this abrupt introduction in verse 1, we're given a link into the Old Testament context. Pick it up with me in verse 2. It says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. Verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The Lord is coming. He is king. And so you'll know he's coming because of the one sent before him to prepare the way. We won't reread verse 4 to 8, but in it you'll see that we're introduced to John the Baptist. He is the messenger that would be sent in fulfillment of God's promises before the coming of the king. Now, verse 6, you'll learn he's kind of like an original hipster. Uh, He's rocking his camel hairs t-shirt. He's got his big buckle belt, kind of a bit of a cowboy's throwback thrown in there. Uh, He spent some time in Toowoomba. uh, And he's slurping his paleo locust and honey smoothie sprinkled with spirulina, cacao and acai. I don't know if you should have all of those things in the one thing, but this, this guy's out there. This guy's extreme. He is wild. He is the pre-show entertainment. When he comes on stage, you know the main show is about to begin. You see, part of John the Baptist's role was preparing people to meet their king, 
And people, are, people are confessing their sins. They're being baptised and they're finding forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus himself is baptised. Not that he needed cleansing from sin. Uh, we see in the brief uh, account of his temptation in the wilderness, verse 12 and 13 there, that he is without sin. And so at Jesus' baptism, again, we're given a significant insight to who is this man, who Jesus actually is. Pick it up with me again, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Incredible. Here we see the triune God, uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit confirming that this, this man who was baptized is no ordinary man. This is God. This is not just the Son of God. This is God the Son. God in flesh. Anointed by the Spirit of God. The great God-man. You know, before Jesus has done anything, Mark has answered the question of who is this man? Emphatically and with great urgency. And as, you, as, as, the, as these first eight chapters roll on, the other characters in the story will respond with astonishment because of the things that Jesus says, because of the things that Jesus does, because of the truths that Jesus exposes. They are amazed and not quite sure what to make of Jesus' identity. You know, now is a good time for us as a faith community to answer the question, who is Jesus? Uh, over the next couple of months, in the lead up to Easter, we all have the opportunity to, to take some time to consider this Jesus. And for each and every single one of us, wherever we're at, whether we've known Jesus for a long time or whether we're relatively new to the things of Jesus, this is the perfect time to, to see that in response to the question, who is this man? Number one, the man is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But then the second question is, well, why did he come? Why did Jesus come? And what, what, I guess that's the question. If question one is the question of identity, question two is the question of mission. Why did Jesus come? Well, number two, the mission. The mission is proclaiming the gospel of God. Proclaiming the gospel of God. You know, the rest of Mark's gospel will be answering this question and it will, and it, to be honest, it'll come in even sharper focus later on when we do the second half of Mark's gospel, uh, kind of from the middle, chapter 8, chapter 9 to the end, chapter 16, where we will definitively find out from Jesus who he is. And yet, again, we're privileged readers. We don't have to wait until the turning point in chapter 8. Um, Jesus' first actions that are presented to us uh, by Mark, take us to the heart of why he came. Have a look at verse 14. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Of all the things Jesus came to do, proclaiming the gospel of God is at the heart of his mission. You know, John the Baptist is now off the stage, clearing the space ready for the main act and Jesus comes bringing good news he comes as a herald in that first instance what is his gospel message we'll keep reading look at verse 15 and saying 
The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. That phrase there is packed with significance. You know, the moment you have been waiting for, a little bit like Simeon from our introduction earlier on, the moment you have been waiting for in fulfillment of all that has come before with the context of all that has happened in the Old Testament, all of the promises that God has made, Jesus says, here it is. The kingdom of God is at hand. Why is this? Because the king of the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is at hand because standing before him is the king, is the Christ. The one you are waiting for, the one who has come to make wrongs right, to turn things untrue true to end sin and sadness it's no secret but one of uh, my favorite things about being a dad is spending time one-on-one with my kids over an iced chocolate uh, and venturing into the chronicles of narnia uh, the first book the first book uh, the lion the witch in the wardrobe uh, is incredible uh, you can kind of guess a little bit about what might take place in the lion the witch in the wardrobe chapter one introduces you to the wardrobe chapter two introduces you to the witch surely chapter three then would complete the introductions but there's no lion there or in chapters four five or six and so as you're reading the tension grows and then in chapter seven the children meet mr beaver and he introduces them to Aslan, the lion. He says this in chapter 7, they say Aslan is on the move, perhaps already landed. At the name of Aslan, each one of his children felt something jump in its inside. By chapter 8, Mr. Beaver reveals even more about Aslan. He says, he's the king, he's the lord of the whole wood, Uh, but not often here, you understand, never in my time or my father's time, But the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this moment. When Jesus says that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's because he is on the move. In Jesus, we meet the king and the Lord. God is on the move. You know, the second half of the chapter, uh, as we've already had it read out, we won't reread the whole chapter, but we see how God, we see how the king is on the move. As we've said, Mark's account is fast-paced. God is on the move as Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit, as Jesus heals many more people, as Jesus preaches in Galilee, as Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus points to the kingdom of God, doing things only the king of that kingdom can do. The king is on the move because Jesus is on the move. You know, there's much more we need to understand about Jesus' mission, and, G- and Mark will get there in time, but central to Jesus' mission is Jesus' cross, where he dies, the sinless for sinners, the innocent for guilty, to usher in the kingdom of God. But for the moment, if the kingdom of God is at hand because the king of the kingdom is here and is on the move, it means, listen carefully, Jesus is not only the herald, Jesus is the gospel. It's not just what he did at the cross. 
It's that he's come at all. It's that he's present. He is the good news that is being proclaimed. You know, often when we think of the gospel, we think of our sins forgiven. We think of Jesus paying our debt at the cross. We think of being rescued from judgment in hell. We think of the good things that are now ours. And these are all right things to think about when we think about the gospel. But the most fundamental gift in the gospel, and even in this introductory moment here, is that we get Jesus. We get God. Not just things from God, not just wonderful fruit from God, but we get God himself. The king is on the move. And so, so far we've seen the man, Jesus Christ, the son of God. We've seen the mission, proclaiming the gospel of God. Which leads to the third and final question of, well, what then does that mean for us? You see, the gospel of Jesus requires a response from us. Number three is the movement. And the movement is all about follow me. This is the call to join in Jesus' movement. That's what Jesus means when he says back there in verse 15, repent and believe in the gospel. Being confronted by who Jesus is and why Jesus came demands a response. Repentance is the idea of turning away from self, turning away from sin. Like a U-turn, you're going one way and you turn around and go the other. You were living in rebellion against God, but you turn away from rebellion and turn back to God. You repent and you believe. You believe in the gospel. You put your faith in Jesus. You put your trust in Jesus. You depend upon Jesus. It's a call to follow Jesus. And so immediately after verse 15 and this call to repent and believe in the gospel, we see the first followers of Jesus. Pick it up with me, chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, uh, boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I love that the, ordin- I love the ordinary people that Jesus calls to be part of his, his extraordinary work. In this first instance, he doesn't call the philosopher, the lawyer, the priest. Who does he call? Fisherman. Simon. Simo. Andrew. Ando. James. We'll call him Jimmy. And John. We'll call him J-Dog. Four ordinary blokes, ordinary men who hear the call of Jesus and immediately, what do they do? They drop their nets. And they follow him. Now, being a fisherman is an important job. It's a good thing. It's a right thing. It was a good thing then. It's a good thing now. But Jesus has a special job for these men. He calls them to himself. And he'll then use them in his movement to change the world. But before they change the world, which they certainly do, he will gather them together for three years to change their world. Now, why have they followed Jesus? At least according to Mark's narrative, Jesus hasn't really done much yet. 
They probably don't know that much about him. The word is perhaps starting to spread. John the Baptist has come and some weird things are kind of happening and reports are starting to spread about him, but they've heard enough already. Isn't that astonishing? They're ready to drop their nets, turn their backs on their livelihoods and follow the call of Jesus. I think their example continues to be instructive for us today. They, they, don't, know, they don't know everything, but they know enough. You know, for us, we're in a far more privileged position than they were by the sea, mending their nets. We know how the story ends. We know Jesus is the king. We know he will go to the cross and we know of his sacrificial death. And we know that death cannot hold him down, that he will be raised, he'll, he'll, he'll be alive, he'll be seen by hundreds of witnesses. You know, even though they live to see these events, it still isn't until the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts that they, they fully get it. Like you kind of have all these moments throughout the gospel where, okay, I think they get it now, I think they get it now. Ah, uh, no, they don't quite get it. But the Holy Spirit comes, they get it. They're transformed and God sends them out to change the world. But the reality is we live this side of the New Testament. The New Testament is finished. We're not waiting for any extra word. We're not waiting for any extra apostle to come. We're not waiting for any extra biblical revelation. We've got everything that we need to know. We are those trusting in Jesus. We are those who have been filled by the Holy Spirit because our trust is in Jesus. We can understand all these events. And so we respond to the call of Jesus. We follow after Jesus. And Jesus continues to call people to himself. Jesus continues to call people to, to drop whatever is preoccupying them and follow him. That doesn't mean every single follower of Jesus will turn their back on their job. That's kind of not how it works as the ordinary means. And yet there's still a, no, no, my priority is Jesus. Jesus is still calling people to be his fishermen in the world. You know, part of his mission is proclaiming the gospel of God and that gospel continues to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth until he comes. And this will happen for us as a new church as we proclaim who Jesus is, as we proclaim why Jesus came and as we proclaim what does it mean to follow Jesus. At Christ Our Refuge, we want to know Christ. We want to love the church and we want to serve the city. We serve the city and we serve the world by helping all people to know Christ as well. However, before we change the world for Jesus, the question we must always be asking is, has he changed our world? And let's be honest. Perhaps you know that you've not yet responded to the call to follow Jesus, to join his movement. Well, what are the nets that are holding you back? And what would stop you today from turning your back on the things that are holding you back from following Jesus and follow Jesus, believing in Jesus today? Maybe you've still got questions. That's okay. I've still got questions about this whole Christianity thing too. But you've heard enough. You know enough. And you're ready to put your trust in Christ today. If that's you, please come and chat with me afterwards. Uh, please reach out. Let's grab a coffee this week. I'd love to talk with you further about what does it even mean to put your trust in Jesus, to follow after him and to take that first step in joining his movement. Well, in the 1500s, um, 
Nicholas Copernicus was a super smart guy, uh, maths nerd, and he put forward a revolutionary idea that the sun and not the earth was at the center of our solar system. And that the earth revolves around the sun, not the other way around. I think the more we ask this question of who Jesus is and as we see who Jesus is, my hope is that we'll have a Copernican-style revolution every day to see that the sun, S-O-N, Jesus, is at the centre of the universe, not us, that he is the king, he is the son of God, and that to follow him is to place him at the centre of our lives in his rightful place. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you in particular for your word to us in, um, in Mark's gospel. Uh, Father, thank you that it is action-packed, that it is fast-paced. And Father, thank you that in it we, we meet Jesus. Father, help us in these coming months as we ask the question, who is this man? Help us to know that we don't have to wait till the middle of the book to know that this man, Jesus, is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And Father, we thank you that he came on a mission. And we thank you that central to that mission was the proclamation of his gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. Help us to know that. May that message interrupt our lives in such a way that we can't help but believe it. We can't help but see who Jesus is and what he has come to do in his perfect life, his sacrificial death and his triumphant resurrection. And Father, thank you that this book is a book that will cause us to think about what does it mean to join his movement? What does it mean to follow after him? What does it mean to belong to him, living no longer for ourselves, uh, but for him who lived for us, died for us and was raised again? Lord, would you work powerfully in our midst as we work our way through Mark 1 to 8. Father, may it, be a time, may it be a time for those of us here today who are following Jesus and those of us who can't be here today who are following Jesus that we would again uh, recommit ourselves to following him. But Father, we also pray that it would be, it would be a time when people who don't yet know Jesus uh, would hear the call of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, and that Father, even in these next couple of months, we'd see people come to put their trust in Jesus for the very first time. Um, give us eyes to see the people around us that we can even invite to take hold uh, of Jesus and to join his movement. And Father, we pray this um, knowing that you are with us, knowing that you are for us, knowing that your spirit is living in us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.